It's Gay Pride Month, and I wanted to do something to support women in history. So I wanted to tell you about a podcast that is doing just this. So for too long, history lessons have glossed over the essential contributions women have made to history. I mean, that's the truth. That's where Encyclopedia Womanica comes in. Encyclopedia Womanica aims to change the narrative by introducing the trials and triumphs of a diverse group of extraordinary women. And in June, they're celebrating Pride. Tune in every weekday to hear the true stories of fearless and unapologetic LGBTQIA plus women from history. You may not know these women, but you definitely should. Subscribe and follow Encyclopedia Womanica wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Today's topic is such an important topic. So the point of my podcast is how do we do this work now so that in the future we're able to live our life in a more positive way? So with that being said, I've noticed with myself as I get into my 40s more and more, I'm both trying to find my voice uh, and I'm also learning to say no more, not be such a people pleaser, which I've spent a majority of my life doing. And I have many friends in my life who are also in this role. And we often chat about how difficult it is to say no to things, to not be involved in school or charity or do things for our parents or put up boundaries. There might be that person in our life, in-laws, friends that are toxic and, and just being able to say, hey, I don't want this in my life. I think when we were younger, we just kind of took it all on. And I think as we get older, we are starting to get this confidence to say, hey, wait, this is the next chapter of my life. And I don't want to do these things anymore. I do want to put up these boundaries. I do want to learn how to speak up for myself. I don't want to try to make everybody happy because it's really impossible. And in the end, you end up burning out. So I thought this was a great topic, and um, I know I could use some help in this area. And I'm very excited for my guest today, who I was just speaking to, wrote a book that I, I read a little excerpt from it, and and I love that she incorporates cursing into her sentences. <laughs> it's just something I've never seen before, and it's actually really refreshing. Amy E. Smith is a certified and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Founder of thejoyjunkie.com, Amy uses her roles as a coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-worth. With an acute focus on helping people find their voice, she is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been a featured expert in Inspired Coach Magazine and on Fox 5 San Diego. 
Before I I welcome Amy on, I just want to tell you that Amy's approach to this is really wonderful, really in your face, very much how I operate, (laughs) and it's going to be a great podcast. Amy, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to hang out. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is this is going to be great. And, you know, I love your honesty. Um, and I, I just I felt you, usually when you go to somebody's website and they immediately, you know, they have sort of a, an offering that you go to, you read it and you're like, Bleh. yours <laughs> captured me. I read the entire thing and uh, I wow. felt heard. And I, I, I just love what you're doing. So thank you for doing this. It's important. Oh, well, that means the world to me. I really, I really appreciate it. And it's interesting because I realized very early on that the more authentic I was about who I am and held all of this sort of dichotomous or opposing forces, like being fully immersed in personal development, but also really loving whiskey or wanting to be passionate about social justice, but also cussing quite a bit. You know, all of these things that we kind of think you have to be put in one one specific pigeonhole. I kind of felt like the more I stepped into that, the more I owned it, the more I attracted my ideal person. So it's worked out quite well. If I'm not for you, I'm fine with that too. (laughs) Well, we're not for everybody. That's right. That's right. I've learned that's, I got to tell you, that's one thing I've learned as I get older that for the most part, I don't really have issues with people, but, uh, but if, if it comes around where I'm not right for somebody where, you know, in, as a designer, my design work may not have been right for somebody, my podcast, whatever it is, that's okay. Cause you're always going to find your people. And I think that's an important lesson in life in general. Sure. So you had a little excerpt where you were talking about how you've helped clients stand up for themselves. Um, They can look in the mirror and like the person that they see, they've learned tools to stop beating themselves up, stop being so invested in what others think of them and find courage to actually say what they mean with kindness and grace. And the other thing you had mentioned is, you know, some of the people that you talk to, the turbo mom who appears to have all the ducks in a row, but hasn't connected with who she really is in years. And I think that this is a really important subject to tackle, uh, and we will get into that. But um, I think a lot of women, moms, or, you know, it it doesn't even have to be a mom. At this stage of life, we've we've kind of dedicated ourselves to one thing, whether it's work or our extended family, children. We're starting to say, hey, you know, who am I outside of that? And I think this is a really great age to start examining that. So I love I love that you're helping women with that as well. Thank you. It's weird. It's interesting because we kind of have a lot of social structures that are in place early on, right? Like so there's the ways in which we're supposed to behave in high school and then in college we have that and then you're kind of finding your footing and what does this mean to be an adult? And then I find that when you get into your 30s and 40s you're like what the fuck was this all for? And why am I not happy? I checked off the boxes. I have the house. I have the career. I have the kids. I have the, but I don't have any idea who I am. And I love so much what you're doing too in, in having conversations about the things that, that aren't prevalent all all over the place. Right. And uh, it's incredibly important. It absolutely is. So I I just want to talk to you. You had a very specific moment when you learned that you needed to let go of the opinions of everyone else and truly step into using your voice. Share that story with us. Sure. So I think for, for most people who are in the personal development space, 
a lot of times their message is informed by a really tumultuous breakdown or something that they had to overcome in order to become a messenger. And my case is very much in alignment with that. So a bit of context, I grew up in an incredibly conservative, born-again evangelical Christian family. My father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So he was clearly not fucking around. And (laughs) uh, so I grew up going to, you know, Christian schools my whole life and very enveloped in that bubble. And juxtaposed against my two younger brothers, I was, by all accounts, the good kid, right? I started working when I was 14. I put myself through college. I got married at 20. We can talk about that. And moved out. I'm still with him, by the way. And moved out of the house and just really had quite quite a bit of autonomy and checked all the boxes, so to speak. Well, my two younger brothers didn't really get invested in school or anything like that. And I tell you that because that will that will come up here in a bit. So all of this really kind of came to a head right around 07 when my father passed away. And up until that time, I had really stepped into sort of this facade and this veneer. And I would have, whenever my husband and I would go visit my family, I would give him the whole rundown of, okay, no talking about gay rights, no cussing, no talking about John Stewart, no talking about Howard Stern, like all of this stuff, the life that we kind of lived outside of my family of origin, I didn't want them to see who I truly was. So let's kind of put up this facade while we're there. And that's kind of how we had lived. And so everything, again, kind of came to this this surface in, in 07. My father had passed away. At the time, I was working in makeup artistry. So I felt extremely convicted that I was going to do his makeup for his viewing. I felt like it would be a real dick move to be like, Dad, get your, get your own makeup artist when <laughs> I had a full skill set to do so. So I did my dead dad's makeup. And I also spoke to a crowd of hundreds that day. He had quite the influence and circle of support. So I felt very much like I was winning at daughter that day. And we get back home to my my mom's house after the service. And she finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels as though my father and her had failed as parents because all three of us, again, didn't matter any of my accomplishments, who I was in this world, but that all three of us, myself and my siblings, weren't, quote, walking with the Lord. So I was, of course, a disappointment. And that was a very pivotal moment for me because I don't think that speaking up for yourself or establishing boundaries are always an ultimatum. But I do think that there are sometimes when it does become that way. And the only thing that I could really muster in that moment was to say to her, uh, you probably shouldn't tell a child that. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, okay, here's a teaching moment for my mom. And she said, well, I just, that's just how I feel. And that became a very distinct decision for me where it became, okay, it's it doesn't always come to push, push, come to shove. But if it does, and I have to decide between making you happy or making me happy, I'm going to choose me. And 
let me tell you, Doran, after that, it was like floodgates were open. I became incredibly adversarial and combative. I wanted to fight about all of the things. I was like, let's talk about gay rights. Let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about all these things that were we were diametrically opposed at. And it wasn't until many, many arguments and situations where I had to apologize for my delivery that I realized that, oh, you can actually speak up for yourself without being an asshole. You can ask for a divorce. You can ask your adult children to move out of the house. You can establish boundaries with people in your world, with your in-laws, and you can do that with the utmost grace and kindness. You don't have to be aggressive or biting. And granted, sometimes that's warranted depending on what your situation is. But that that was sort of the trajectory of my own awakening and then in turn being able to teach others to do the same. Wow. You know, I think I think sometimes with any form of extreme religion, there, there there's always there's always the the child that second guesses. I've seen this so many times. Not to say that what your parents were doing wasn't right and right for them, but sure. that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be right for your children who have their own personalities and their own views, especially today. Although, I'm, I do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, I'm, I'll be forty two in like a week, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, even for our age, I like that you don't know when your birthday is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I I forget how old I am all the time. Um, I I think that for our generation, we were kind of on the cusp of being the generation that spoke up for ourselves. As you know, our parents did not do that. Yet again, I think we were on the cusp. I think there was some of us that did learn that. I think that there were some of us that really didn't and still haven't learned that uh, based on what we've observe from our parents. So good for you for, you know, being able to do that. I would imagine that was very, very difficult given your dad's role in religion. It was. And I still feel like a lot of the the dogma that I experienced now in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that's a very abusive theology. And so I've gone through a lot of my own deconstructing and choosing what I what I do and don't believe. And I, I don't think for one second that they were ever ill-intended. I believe that they were 100% convicted that this was the answer. Uh, unfortunately, that answer is cloaked in a lot of guilt and shame. And I don't think that's a way to motivate behavior. And I've even had conversations with my mom where she will try to guilt trip me about certain things. <laughs> I've told mm-hmm. her I've made it a very distinct decision to not be motivated from a place of guilt. So if you want to rephrase that or rework that, I'm happy to listen to it, but I'm not going to be motivated from a place of guilt. And that took me a long time to articulate without just being defensive or really sharp. And I think that's a huge learning piece for a lot of people because we get to a place many times where we hit a breaking point and we we just can't stay silent any longer and it becomes like this volcanic eruption. And when we have that uncomfortable altercation with somebody, we usually take the misstep of going back and taking it all back instead of just taking back the delivery. So that's what I've done for many years where I went back and told my mom, hey, listen, I still feel very strongly about the content of what I was saying. 
However, the way that I delivered that was wildly unfair, hugely disrespectful, and you don't deserve to be treated that way. So for my delivery, I'm incredibly sorry. But I think it's important that we make that distinction and we don't just try to smooth it all over just so somebody sees sees us favorably again. Oh, I think I think that distinction is so important. And I think in the heat of a moment, many of us have have not paid attention to that. So, you know, we're all human. But why do you think it's so challenging for people to speak up for themselves and establish boundaries? I can start this, but just real quick. Sure. I, I do think um, there are those of us that might have been in situations where you're a people pleaser because you were a caretaker at some point in your life or always coined as the good and perfect one. Um, so you had to live up to that role. But I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Well, I think that it really varies depending on what your particular identity is. For me, I can speak to that as being somebody who is a white, cisgendered, pansexual, able-bodied human, right? So the way in which I survived for the duration of my youth was to make sure that other people found favor with me. So we we actually know that there is a, a lesser known fear response. We have fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And fawn is essentially if if you know a tiger or a mountain lion is coming after you, that you're like, here, kitty, kitty, <laughs> let me try to make friends with you. Right? It's it's when you try to appease an attacker, an abuser, et cetera. And the modern iteration of that fear response of fawn is people-pleasing. So it's, let me stay safe. And now this could depend on anybody's various identities, right? So if you grow up as a queer child or you grow up with a disability or a, a marginalized group of people, that may have very realistically been the only way that you could stay safe was to fade into the background. In my situation, a lot of it was informed by the dogma, right? It was what women are supposed to be, what you are supposed to look like, what you are supposed to act like. And a lot of things enveloped from shame, which is essentially the belief of I'm not enough, right? Like how many times do we hear that from women of, I don't think I'm a good enough parent. I'm not thin enough. I'm not entrepreneurial enough. Fill in the blank, right? And so I think for all of us, it starts out as something that we're genuinely doing to keep ourselves safe, to defend ourselves. Because obviously, if somebody doesn't find favor with us or they are aggressive towards us, we learn very quickly like, oh, shut down, don't speak up, that's not safe. And we receive a litany of different examples in the media of if you speak up as a woman, this happens or all of these different things that we're kind of fed culturally. So I think there's one element of recognizing that However, you got to this point where you chronically don't speak up for yourself or you choose to silence yourself, give yourself some compassion that you probably adopted that sort of a behavioral tactic to stay safe in some way. And now we can recognize that, oh, okay, even though it's highly uncomfortable if my in-laws don't like the way that I'm feeding my child or my partner does not think that I'm making a good business decision, we can now recognize that, okay, by me not speaking up for that, I'm not actually in danger. It's just sort of a behavioral tactic that I've adopted. And then now we can start to change that, 
right? Now we can start to choose where where and when do I want to start speaking up? Because the the key thing that I think people don't realize is we have all of these great idioms like don't rock the boat or sweep it under the rug or don't open up a can of worms. And all of those are idioms to basically sh- say, shut the fuck up and don't, don't be vocal. Silence yourself, right? And what happens when we do that, when we consistently put everybody else in front of ourselves, we are sending that subconscious message over and over again that everyone else's wants, opinions, and needs are more important than our own. And that is our self-worth. That is how we view our own value, our own enoughness. So I'm not advocating speaking up for yourself just as like this fun personal development exercise. I'm advocating for it because your self-worth depends on it. Can you expand a little bit more on uh, the connection between speaking up for yourself and your sense of self-worth? Sure. Because I think, you know, kind of what I was mentioning is we look at sort of the the immediate ramifications, which are typically an emotional response. So if we, for example, say, hey, I actually find find that a little bit offensive or I would appreciate it if you didn't say that in front of me. And then we have a negative response. That's an emotional pain for us. So naturally, as humans, we are always going to either be in the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. Those are the two primary human drivers. So if we're in a situation where somebody says something that we incur emotional pain, we're naturally going to want to avoid that, right? So again, I want to underline that we do this because it's it's not necessarily comfortable. And for many of us, we have not been taught. Nobody teaches you this, especially women. And I, I do feel bolstered and enthusiastic by some of the younger generations who are st- stepping into this a little bit more and where mental health is so much more on the docket. So I am encouraged by that. But like you said earlier, we, we're on the cusp. <laughs> Right, um, right. But I have a metaphor that I use around this, and it it is to kind of think about yourself as as a house. And maybe you have all of these various intricate rooms. You have the rooms that you kind of let everybody see, and then maybe you have some of those other rooms that that are a bit disheveled, and you don't necessarily want everyone to be able to see. But we we're unique. There's nothing else out there like your unique house. And that is like your self-worth, your own enoughness, your value, whatever sort of semantics you want to use to ascribe to it. And then we have a bevy of human experience. So you will have people who come and drop off a, a gift on the porch of your house. And what this is like is people giving you compliments or accolades or getting a promotion or an amazing opportunity. And it's all of these things that incur a positive emotional feeling. We feel good when somebody gives us a compliment or we feel good when somebody falls in love with us. That's just fine. So then we can we can make that definitive choice of, okay, do I want to bring this thing into my house? Sure. Okay, I'm going to make that choice that yeah, I'm going to bring in this gift into my home. But it does not change 
the value of the home. It does not mean now all of a sudden this, my house is, I'm worthy, I'm valuable. No, it's simply a gift. It's simply an addition. Now, conversely, we have people who leave a bag of shit on your porch. These are the people who are giving you guilt trips. These are the people who are criticizing you or telling you that you're not good enough. Or sometimes it's a breakup. Sometimes it's being passed over for a job opportunity. It's the things in life that we experience that incur an uncomfortable emotional response, sadness, grief, upset, overwhelm. Now, we can make that choice of, am I going to take this other person's guilt? Am I going to take the, this person doesn't want to be with me? Am I going to take this rejection and bring it in and now stink up the place and make it permeate this, this house? That's your choice. That's your call. But what's really clear is that neither the gifts nor the bag of shit have to change the value or the structure of the house. It's just about how much do you enjoy it? How much do you like being in there, right? So one of my favorite mantras that I use all the time is, oh, I'm currently not accepting any piles of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Where, you know, and that's essentially what that looks like in real life is when my mom wants to guilt trip me about being offended about certain things that she'll say to me. And I'll say, I really would appreciate if you wouldn't say that. Well, that wasn't how you were raised. And I can't believe you get offended by that. And trying to essentially hand me this giant pile of shit. And I have that choice to go, oh, no, no. I, I'm not bringing that into my house. I'm not I'm not taking that on. And so my worth then is mine to guard. And I think where we misconstrue this as it relates to how we engage with other people is we think that if somebody doesn't approve of us, then we're not worthy or we're not valuable. All that means is they try to drop shit on your porch. It does not have to affect your actual value. So too often we collapse those two things. If that person doesn't love me, that must mean I'm unlovable. No, you're still totally lovable. It just means that person doesn't happen to love you. That's okay. It doesn't have to mean you aren't valuable and enough. It means you went through something that sucks and hurts. And so it's now about that emotional intelligence piece and and feeling through through things instead of automatically trying to fix them. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, um, in the past few years, I've started to eliminate friends in my life that just take and take and take and don't give. Not that I do anything for something back, but you, you want to feel like a friendship goes in both directions. And in those moments where I have stuck up for myself, most of the time there is a respect from doing that. But if you do get a negative reaction from somebody, how do you bounce back from that? Because if you're used to doing it one way and then you try it out, and you get a negative reaction from that person, what is your suggestion for doing it again with the next person and and continuing with it? Well, I think one thing that's incredibly important to outline here is your delivery. Because so often we kind of check the box of, I spoke up, but we don't think about how we spoke up. Because if I were to come to you, Doran, and say, you know, let's say there was something that you did that really bothered me, and I approached you and said, you know what? You always are talking to me like this, and 
I really don't appreciate it. And you come across like you know everything and I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. It's toxic, right? Like how receptive are you going to be? Right. You're going to be like, what? But if I came to you with a delivery and a cadence of voice that said, hey, you know, I really want to run some stuff by you. There's been some stuff that has really been on my mind. And I realized that I've been building up this resentment and it's wildly unfair to you if I haven't even brought it to you. So I would really appreciate if we could just kind of talk about it. You mean the world to me. And I just want to get some of this stuff out. Are you up for it? Right. Getting some consent. Then to say, hey, here's what happened. Here's how I interpreted it. Not assigning you, you, you do this, you, you, you. But to say, hey, when this happened, here's how it landed for me. I would really love to hear what your perspective was on that, right? And then maybe delivering, here, here's my request going forward. I would really appreciate it if you said it more like this, right? Your, your chances of having a more productive conversation with that sort of a, a rhythm to to your voice is going to be highly more successful or it's more likely it's going to be successful. So my first thing would be review how you showed up and start asking yourself, did I present what I needed to present to them in a way where I could genuinely be heard? Because a lot of times when we feel as though we've been wronged, we, we feel vindicated and validated in getting it out whatever way we can get it out. And a lot of times that comes out as passive aggressiveness or being a little too sharp or making a joke out of something and not being really serious about it. So you have to ask yourself, did I deliver this in a way that I am proud? Is there anything that I might need to clarify or clean up? And that may inform then if you go back to them and try again, like, hey, I don't know if I presented this as as cleanly and kindly as I could. And I oftentimes will tell people to use the word intention and say, it was not my intention at all to cause a rift between us. I genuinely was feeling feeling some hurt about how things had transpired. And, and I really valued this relationship and I wanted to work through it. I didn't mean to come across accusationally, right? So if that if that's the case. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is that it hurts. It sucks. It sucks when somebody sees something differently than you. It hurts. And I think again, our natural human response is make the pain stop. If you put your hand on a fire, your immediate reaction is pull that away, immediately remove. So if we're feeling emotionally sad that somebody received something really poorly or now they're mad at us, oh, we want to make it right. We want to smooth it over. Ah, this is so uncomfortable. But part of that resilience is sitting with it being uncomfortable. Now, that can look a couple of different ways. You can write it out. I have a best friend where we will oftentimes message each other and say, we do these we have this walkie-talkie type app that we use. Okay, I just need to tell you all the things I'm mad at. And we just kind of vent it, vent it out and create a little container for it. You can do a workout and let it out that way. But I think it's truly about recognizing that you're in a space of emotional pain. It sucks. It hurts to be where somebody isn't agreeing with you. But that doesn't act as an indication that you shouldn't have spoken up. That's key. Because a lot of times people go, see what happens when I speak up? And it's like, mm -hmm. well, what about if you actually saw somebody's true colors? 
You know, what about if that was really informing you about where you stand in that friendship or that relationship? So is there a couple of things you can do? Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, as a younger child and teen, I very much spoke up for myself. And somewhere in the past few years, I don't know if it's just being busy or just, you know, having too much on your plate, which is the same thing as busy. I've you know, stepped away from standing up for myself just to not have to deal and communicate. And, you know, I see that in a lot of um, my relationships and it's not a healthy way to be. You certainly, when you can't be bothered, it's easy to say, you know what, whatever, that's their thing. I'm not going to deal with it. Uh, So I, I can't stress enough how important this really is because I think the scariest part at least for me, is that initial communication because you're you're not sure how it's going to be received. So I think understanding how to do it properly is so important. So thank you for that. I understand you have a three-step process to boundary setting. I'm assuming that what you just spoke about is part of that, how you say it. Is there more to that? Yeah, there is actually. So it's broken down into kind of three pieces. The first piece is to decide on the specific boundary. And What's really key here in the decision place is to be incredibly specific. So let's say that every time your child goes to your in-law's house, your your parents-in-law, they disregard the things that you would really prefer that they do not eat. You don't want them to have gluten or whatever it is. And they consistently disrespect that boundary and that request. They think you're being silly. They just did fine when they were growing up. And why are you being, why are you being a helicopter parent or whatever? So they dismiss you. So you've decided I need to really, really be clear. I can't just make this like, Hey, I'd appreciate it if you didn't take them to McDonald's or Hey, you know, I need to really put a line in the sand and make it clear. So instead of saying something like, I need you to just respect our choices around food. That's so ambiguous. That's like, well, what the hell does that mean? But if you say very specifically, this is the boundary I'm going to deliver is I need to know that without a shadow of a doubt, you will not take them to any fast food and they will not have any sugar or glue or whatever your parameters are, right? But to be super specific, because a lot of times when we decide on our boundary, it's so easy to breach because it's not clearly defined, all right? So being as clear, the, the most specificity possible. The second piece is to deliver. Now, the delivery is very similar to what I was using as an example earlier, where it's how you approach it. So a couple of key things that can be helpful there. One is to ask for the time to talk. That's a piece of not catching somebody off guard. Think about any time you've ever dealt with confrontation or a conversation that you did not know was coming. It's so much more likely that you're going to be defensive. So if you say to them like, hey, I'd really love to run some stuff by you, or I'd like to get your take on something. Um, I have some things I'd really like to share with you. I wouldn't say, hey, we need to talk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the worst. Right. So saying something like that, getting getting that conversation and then using gratitude. Hey, I so appreciate how involved you are with the kid's life. And it really means the world to me that 
that you take so much uh, interest in hanging out with them and caretake for them or whatever. And I realized that there was something that I've mentioned a handful of times that I don't know if I'm not explaining it well. And I just wanted to have a heart to heart with you. It would really mean the world to me if you would refrain from giving them these specific foods, right? You break it down. And I'm not asking for you to agree with me or even get it or understand it. I'm just asking that you respect that that request. What are your thoughts, right? Getting sort of that that conversation going. So that's the delivery piece. And there's lots of nuance in there, but you get sort of an idea about what that's like. The third piece then, which I think is sometimes the most difficult, is the enforcement. This is when somebody breaches the boundary. So a lot of times we get all of our guts up and we get all of our nerves up and we actually finally have that tough conversation. We set the boundary and we're like, okay, all done, all done. And then that person tests us. Oh, Amy doesn't really mean it. Oh, Doran doesn't. Oh, she just she's just been doing that on her podcast or whatever. She doesn't really mean it. And they will test it especially if it's somebody who has benefited from your people-pleasing behavior. They'll push back on it. Or sometimes they're just dismissive. It could be a bevy of different reasons why. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. So being prepared for the enforcement. So when somebody does it again, your kid comes home and says, oh, we had McDonald's, blah, blah. For you to say, to immediately get on the phone and say, hey, I don't know if there was a breakdown in communication, I felt like I was really clear that this was a very hard line boundary. I'm going to ask you again to please refrain. And then depending on what they say, you can decide how many chances do they get before there is a consequence. And that might mean, okay, we're going to have to have you come here to hang out with the kids because this is just something that impedes their health too much. And it's not something that we're willing to risk, whatever it might look like. Right. But you get to decide how many times am I going to enforce this? How many times am I going to say, hey, remember that conversation? I really meant it. And being really genuine about that. So that's sort of a a meta view of the three-tiered process of of establishing a boundary. It's not much different than communication and couples therapy. (laughs) So I was thinking, it's all, you know, I mean, sometimes... If there's one party in the the relationship who's a little bit more sensitive, it's all in how you approach it. Yes. That's something I've had to learn over the years. My husband is super sensitive, and I tend to be a little bit more in your face and, and <laughs> really upfront. And uh, so in many instances, I've had to learn how to reword the way that I say things. And he said to me often, listen, it's not what you're saying, it's how you say it. And if you said it in a different way, I wouldn't get so defensive. So I think that that's really important advice. All right, so let's get to some of the listener questions. One of the biggest things I got was in-laws. I think we, <laughs> we did cover that in that example. I think it's it's no matter how long you've been married, I un- unfortunately have not been able to experience this because my mother-in-law died uh, before we got married. So I, I have nothing to add to this conversation. I've never had any issues with my in-laws, but it, I know that it's a huge source of stress for so many women. I have friends whose marriage has a lot of issues just because of this one thing. Sure. So um, is there anything else you want to add to what you already said about that conversation that I'm sure you've talked to women before who have issues with in-laws? The only thing that I will say is that there's a very large spectrum between 
people uh, who who blatantly will not engage in a thoughtful conversation and will be dismissive of you. If you are dealing with anyone who's name calling you, who is being verbally abusive, that's that is not the type of situation where you have collaborative conversations. Those are hard and fast boundaries. So those are things like I'm happy to have a conversation with you, but I will not tolerate you speaking to me like that and straight up hanging up the phone, right? So there's very different advice that I will give people depending on the level of behavior or acrimony that the other person is employing because not everybody is capable of having a thoughtful conversation about that. But I will say that again with the disclaimer of you have to be hyper vigilant about how you've conducted yourself. Because if you've been combative, if you've been really rough around the edges, you are catering to the dynamic that's happening. It doesn't mean that you're wrong in how you feel. It just means that perhaps you haven't communicated in a way where the two of you could have some common ground. So you have to be very, very clear on how you showed up. But if you can say, I have very thoughtfully, kindly expressed how I feel. I've been very serious. I've clearly not made it a joke. I haven't been passive aggressive. And over and over and over again, they have shown me that they don't give a shit. Then that that's a very different sort of advice that I give. That's a, a very hard line. And then it does get tricky in how you converse with your partner and what their stance is on the matter. All right. So here's a question relating to relationships. Um, okay. I love this. She said, why can't I ever just get a back massage and relax without sex after. How do you <laughs> How do you communicate that one? Okay, so this is great. This is a great question. So there has been some kind of a pattern that has evolved it sounds like in this relationship where that's always been the thing. Now, it depends if this person has ever spoken up about that and said Hey, I I would really prefer if this or it's my request that does that doesn't lead to sex this time around. If you've actually expressed that and that's been ignored over and over again, that's a problem, right? Like the, now we have an issue. The more common thing that happens is, you know, women were kind of told to shut up about that and just you know, we should be desired. And if we're desired, then we should feel lucky. And yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that our worth societally is in our appearance and is in our sex appeal. Men, their worth is in their productivity. So that's a very deep line that that runs through all of us that we have to contend with all the time. And I think what I would suggest to this person is to have a conversation outside of that dynamic. So don't have this conversation during the back rub. Okay. Have this conversation during another time when the two of you are both in a good headspace, not when somebody just got chewed out by their boss or the kids just made a mess and you're like, oh, that's right. I've been meaning to run something by you. Don't do it when you're in the heat of an emotional charge. When the two of you are thoughtful, say again, hey, I'd really like to run some stuff by you. I realize I haven't spoken up about this and that's really unfair to you. Because that partner could totally assume that that's what you want if you haven't said anything, right? right? They could assume, oh, she's asking for a massage because she wants sexy time. They could totally think you enjoy that, you know, or that that's your code 
for I want to get into it. So if you have that conversation and say, you know, hey, I realize that I don't know if I've ever been really forthright about this. There are times when I genuinely just want to connect via touch and I don't necessarily want it to lead to sex. And I've never told you that before. So I am super happy to return the favor, like where you give me a back rub and I give you a back rub. Because you have to remember that it's unfair to demand something from somebody that you're not willing to reciprocate. Now, it doesn't have to be in the exact form, like back rub for back rub, but it's are you showing up and being what your partner needs the way that you, that you are asking for? And that that can really be a lot about love languages and and things like that. But it's it's simply about reciprocity. Are we both showing up in a way where we genuinely care about what the other person wants and needs? And there are sometimes boundaries around that too. Like that's not always cut and dry. But there is there's a great framework from Dr. John Gottman, who is kind of a pioneer in all things relationships and marriage counseling. And he talks about turning towards, turning against, and turning away. So if you are in the middle of having that back massage and you see that it's that there's initiation towards sex, instead of turning against, saying like, oh, what's wrong with you? You oh, you always are all over me. Or turning away where you just are like, oh, you know what? I kind of have a headache and running out of the room or like trying to abort mission, but actually turning towards and saying, I so appreciate how loving you are towards me, or it really does feel good to be desired by you. Can I take a rain check on this? What do you think about Friday night? Or, you know, where you're turning towards instead of either against or away. So there's a couple of things they might be able to try. That's great. All right. I have a question about the workspace. When you work part-time at a place but get responsibilities of a full-time employee. This one can be tricky because it depends on how much you want that actual job. And if your livelihood depends on it, if if it's like a self-preservation thing. And this becomes about, again, requesting the time to talk, asking for a meeting, asking for a sit-down, saying, hey, I just wanted to review with you some of the things that I understood as being my job responsibilities and some of the things that have now transpired that I'm taking on. And I want to talk about what that looks like as far as, is this temporary? Are we bringing somebody else on? And and you gear up for it. You write everything out. You have uh, very detailed stuff listed out for you. And be really clear about what you're asking for. Are you asking for a full-time position? Are you asking for fewer duties? And I would also come prepared with some solutions and ideas so that you're being proactive and you're saying, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What if we got another part-time person and we could split these two accounts or whatever? Or what would you think if we put this thing on hold because this is a little too much for me to carry just by myself? Or you present it kind of as like, okay, here are all of the things that I've been told a priority. I only have this much space due to being part-time. Which one would you like me to focus on? So there's kind of a, a multitude of different ways to handle it depending on what what's actually going on for you. But here's what I will say. Most of the time, people are so wrapped up in taking care of their own workload and what's going on with them that if you just pretend like it's no big deal for you to take it on and you're never speaking up about it at all, 
then a lot of times people will just assume like, shit, Amy can do it all or give it to Amy. She'll take it. Give it to Doran. She'll take it. She, she never says anything about it. I'm sure she would say something if there was a problem. So keep in mind that you need to be very clear about here are the things that are on my plate. Here are the amount of hours that I have in the day. What would you like me to focus on? And then being as solution oriented as you can. All right. I have one for you for myself. Cool. If you have friends that are, are, I don't want to use relationships with people that are toxic, but consider you their friend, whether it's a couple that you engage with or a, a friend, and they're constantly asking you for plans, and you really don't want to make those plans. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you get around that? Because you could say I'm busy, and they're just going to come back at you with another date, and this can yeah. go in you know with many different situations. Yeah. So again, my first question is going to be what makes them toxic? Is that something that you can elaborate on at all for me? I think negativity, it's it's all about them having to sit there and listen constantly and them not having much interest in your own in your life. That's super helpful because sometimes we do we label things as toxic where it's easier to label it as toxic than actually speak up and engage in the conversation. Now, that being said, there are friendships or relationships that they're not worth your time to have a sit down and they're not even worth your time speaking up. That depends on do I want to surmount this with somebody or not? And sometimes you really do want to work on it. And it's like, I really value them, but there's this one thing that they do. And if they would knock that shit off, I really do have a blast with them. That's an indication of I need to speak up. Now, your situation, it sounds like I don't know if I really even value this relationship that much. I don't really want to be around them. That's a different situation. Now, I do think that you can absolutely do the the slow fade where you're consistently not available and see if that changes anything. Then I would just flat out be honest about it. And I would say, you know, I so appreciate you reaching out and wanting to connect. In all transparency, it feels like much of our get-togethers are centered around everything that's going on with you and so-and-so. And to be quite candid with you, I'm really looking for relationships that are 50-50 or that are more uh, reciprocal or, you know, and you just straight up tell them, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. you you know, it's awkward, it's scary, but they also have no idea. And sometimes people who, who operate that way are doing so out of a defense. They are trying to talk about themselves because they do have a lower self-worth. And then other times it's straight up narcissism and it's not your shit to to manage. So you kind of have to weigh some of those different variables. And there's ways to say it that are a little softer. You can say, you know, I genuinely, or it feels as though many of our conversations lean towards the negative. And I've been in a space with my life right now where I just can't handle conversations of that nature for my own mental health. Yeah. Truly hope you can understand. And I wish you well. That's great. And then then there's the dealing with somebody who's defensive, right? You know, right. They do no wrong. I guess that comes down to narcissism. Well, if you deliver it like that and then they want to make you wrong and they want to yell and scream at you, you can say, again, this is why I need to underline that 
I can't entertain conversations like this for my own mental health. I'm going to politely excuse myself from this conversation. You don't feed into the actual content. And that's very difficult because you want to defend yourself. You want to say, hey, listen, no, it wasn't about that. I didn't say that. You don't do any of that. Just say, once again, you reiterate. You reiterate the boundary. Again, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to politely excuse myself from this conversation. Yes, that's so empowering, too. Yeah. And I think the more you practice that, the more confident you feel. And um, it is very empowering. Amy, this is so wonderful. I always say hey. this to my guests, but I really, I guess I'm just that person. I could talk to you for hours. Huh. Um, I know people specifically that will be contacting you. So tell us a little bit about what you do exactly and sure. where to find you and what you offer. Right. So my corner of the internet is over at thejoyjunkie.com. Junkie is spelled J-U. N-K-I-E. And I also use the handle at the Joy Junkie pretty much on all social media platforms. I hang out the most on Instagram. And I've been uh, doing my own podcast for over eight years. So I've got just an arsenal of episodes that are similar to what we've been talking about today. The free workbook that Doran highlighted earlier. So lots of freebies over there, free workshops. I I do one specific program. There's only essentially one way to work with me. It's a, a deeply immersive program that's called Deep Down and Dirty. And if you're interested specifically in that, you can find information on my site as well. It's no joke. It spans almost four months. But I would say get your feet wet, get some free shit, listen to the podcast, uh, get to know me and my style a little bit more. And then um, if you're ready to dig deeper, check out Deep Down and Dirty. Great. Well, thank you again. And there are certain guests that I would love to have back uh, to dig into other topics. Uh, we'd love to have you back again. This was this was really great, really informational. And I love what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Well, I would be most honored. So just, just uh, come a knock in and I would be honored to come back. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast. And please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>